0: You're listening to a podcast from Riverview Church in Boness, recorded during one of our Sunday gatherings. For more information about Riverview Church, or service times, or contact details, go to riverviewchurch.uk or find us on Facebook at Riverview Boness. When I was
1: in year 10, I'm not sure how that translates through a Scottish system, but when I was in year 10, so I guess I was. 15 years old. Um, during a double PE lesson, uh, there was this really lazy PE teacher. And like, I, I want to pause this and record, but you know, they say those who can't teach and those who can't teach teach PE. And uh, no, I was a teacher and I love teaching, so I, that's not true. But definitely about the PE teachers. Yeah, that's true all the way. Uh, <laughs> is anyone a PE teacher
0: here? going to be a really
1: awkward moment when someone walks out and 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 during this double P lesson, this lazy teacher decided he wasn't going to teach us anything. What he was going to do is have a basketball tournament. I think this was so that he could just get on with marking something. So he said, go on, have a basketball tournament. And he chose captains, and he said, pick teams. Do you remember that from school? Where they chose a captain, and they said, right, you guys pick teams, and then everyone else lines up and then each captain takes yeah. in turns to pick a name. And obviously what happens is that they're all so democratic and lovely that they chat about the names first and then say, let's include you know, the people that aren't very sporty first so they feel good about themselves. <laughs> of course they do that. No, you want to win the tournament. So if it's your choice first, you pick the best person in the year group, don't you? And so they were going through this picking teams thing. And when there were only six left to be picked, the teacher realised that he already had six in each team, and that's what he wanted, and that if he carried on letting them pick teams, there would be an imbalance in one of the, or two of the teams. So what he did instead was put the remaining people into one team You you know what I'm saying here. These are the last six people out of the entire, you know, class or a couple of classes that we have. The entire group and the last six. The six not to get picked, get put into one team. And honestly, these guys were the worst. They were terrible. They were not sporty. They were asthmatic. They were like... That's not, I'm asphatic <laughs> as well, I'm not insulting people with asked for this morning, why aren't we doing so well with your stuff? <laughs> they were not the sporty type, and guess what? I was in that last six. Aww. Aww. Come on, I'm fishing for a bit it's definitely this morning, <laughs> please, start off there. Currently, we're going through this series, which is looking at the kingdom of heaven, and uh, we've got a couple more weeks of this yet, so far... We've seen that the kingdom is where God's will is outworked, where he has his way, where he does things his way, and we yield to that. It's not a geographical place, but it's in our midst, and it's too close to ignore. And we've learned that citizenship is free, but worth everything that you've got. And it grows From small, sometimes seemingly insignificant beginnings into a vast expanse that provides shelter and can provide protection and sustain and cause growth in our lives. We've also seen that it can be counterfeited. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That that where there there is a reality in the kingdom, there's an equal lie in the dominion of darkness that replicates the kingdom, that seeks to to steal (laughs) us Of course, and that, that believers can sometimes look like non-believers mm-hmm. in the way they behave, and sometimes non-believers can look like believers in the way that they behave. And then we looked last week, really tough one. At the end of time, there being a separation, and as the fishermen, it, it, in the same way that they gather in a net and then they sort the fish, good from bad, there will be a separation amongst us. Where those who are deemed good will be shining like the sun, and those who are deemed wicked will be cast into a place of gnashing of teeth and darkness and anguish. But we also learned last week that the goodness that rests upon those who are good is not about their behaviour. It's not about their merit, it's about the righteousness of the King, Jesus. Today we're going to be looking at a kingdom that, when compared to society, seems completely upside down, back to front, inside out. It will challenge our cultural norms, it ransacks the idea of rank and class. The kingdom of God declares a level playing field. So, if you'd like to open your Bibles or your electronic devices to Candy Crush, I mean, to, um, to Matthew 20, and we're going to be looking at verses 1 to 16. Matthew 20, 1 to 16. Now, while you're going there, let me just give you a little bit of an outline of Matthew 19, because I think this will sit this chapter that we're looking at today well in context. So, in chapter 19, it begins with this rich... Ruler, coming up to Jesus and saying, what good thing do I need to do to get eternal life? That's his language, to get eternal life. What good thing do I have to do to get eternal life? And Jesus says, obey my commandments. Which ones, says the ruler, like it's a pick and choose? (laughs) Which ones are you suggesting that I need to obey in order to get eternal life? And Jesus actually mentions six. He says, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not lie. Honour your mum and your dad. Wow. (laughs) Because I'm pretty good with the first lot. You know, don't murder, yeah, check, done that. Don't commit adultery, fantastic, good, not done that. Don't steal, technically no. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Honour
1: your mum and your dad. Fail. (laughs) Fail. Love your neighbour as yourself. And he says, well, I've done that. to ching Tick! I've done that. And he adds, I've done that since I was little all my life. I have observed these things. Everything that you've just mentioned, Jesus, I'm your man. Now, can I get eternal life? Do I get the prize? And Jesus says, there's one thing that you're still lacking. Sell everything that you've got and give it away mm. to somebody... In need, somebody who will benefit from what you've got. And you know, that's too much for this guy. And so he walks away disappointed in Jesus. Because he was banking on his wealth, his status, and his observance of the law to be the thing that Jesus would say. You've done enough, my friend. Here you are. Jesus says, give it away. And the disciples are baffled at this point when Jesus tells them, uh, tells them this. And then he says that it's ridiculously hard for a wealthy person to gain citizenship into the kingdom of heaven. <coughs> Doesn't this completely buck the trend of society where money and status open doors for you rather than to close them? How is it possible for anyone to be saved, they asked. Because I think they know that everyone's wealthy somewhere, even if not in their bank account. How can anyone be saved? And Jesus says, it's impossible. Hmm. Notice that. It's impossible for the rich man to be saved, given what Jesus has just dropped as a big bombshell in their laps. It's impossible for him to be saved by his status or his wealth or his observance of the law. It's not possible. But there's good news because Jesus says with God it is possible. With God it is possible. Everything is possible. Peter at this point, I think, might be reading into the text here a little bit, but I think the the modern term for it is he's a bit miffed. (laughs) He's, He's not too chuffed with what he's hearing because he feels that he has paid into the kingdom. Look at what he says. He, he says, Jesus, look at us. We've left everything behind to follow you. We've done all that you've asked. We've not looked back. We've put our hand to the plough and moved forward. We've been model disciples. What, what do we get? What does our treasure look like? What do we get out of this? What's our reward? And Jesus responds by saying, everyone who's given up anything on his account, for his sake, will be rewarded uh, by multiplication. They'll be rewarded far beyond what they could possibly give up. Great news, but he adds this (coughs) cryptic little line at the end. The first Mm -hmm. will be last, Mm -hmm. and the last will be first. Actually, I think at the end of 19 it says, but many who are Mm -hmm. first will be last, and many who are last will be first. So Matthew twenty, one to 16. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. At about nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. And he told them, you also go and work in my vineyard. And I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon, and he did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. <coughs> he asked them, Why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one's hired us, they answered. And he said to them, You also go and work in my vineyard. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired at about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So, when those who were hired first came... They expected to receive more. Pretty reasonable, I would imagine. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only one hour, they said. And you have made them equal to us, who have been, uh, who have borne the burden of the work during the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, Amen. Amen. Firstly, notice this. The landowner himself goes to the marketplace. That's quite significant here. He, he could have, by modern standards, sent uh, one of his managers out. He could have sent one of his other hired workers out into the marketplace. You go and find people to work for me. He he could have placed an advertisement in the bonus journal. He he could have he could have put an ad out on Facebook. He could have brought together an interview panel and interviewed suitable candidates. But this guy, the landowner, goes into the marketplace to spot people for himself. Jesus has come for you. God Himself has stepped into your story. Amen. And if you don't know him, he's going to keep coming while it is still daytime. Mm -hmm. He is going to keep coming right up until the evening. To say to you, come, work in my field. Come be part of this, and I will pay you. For us, it's the king himself who steps into our poverty. Who steps into our story and calls us to be followers within his kingdom. Not as slaves, but as sons. Mm. But he doesn't step into the marketplace of our lives looking to be impressed by us. Jesus doesn't come knocking at your door saying, what have you got for me? Are you good enough? He's not looking for your skill. He's not looking for your charisma. He's not looking for your status. He's not looking for your wealth. He's going to come into the poverty and say, here I am. Looking for those who've been left behind, like those six last basketball players. Looking for those who are neglected. Looking for those who are without hope. Looking for those who believe themselves to be unwanted. Where are you this morning? Because we sit in church and and tend to have a handful of people that are doing ministry, if you like, that have something visible for everyone else to look at. And it can be so tempting to look at those people and say, well, they're okay, they're holy, their place is secured in the kingdom. They are people that God loves. I can see that, I can imagine that, I know that. But me, I'm a wretch. Jesus steps into our wretchedness. Amen. You are not unwanted. Even early in the morning, there's a real sense in the marketplace that these people are in need. Because all the people that were really good were already hired. They they had permanent positions. They didn't need to go to the marketplace day after day just to try and make enough money for their families. Just to try and get to dinner time and be able to put something on the table. So already, we see that these guys are in need of employment. They're in need of wages to look after themselves. It's kind of like a modern day job centre. I've, I've only been like, into one once or twice when I was younger and i found them to be horrible places. I mean, I think they're good places. I'm not criticising the fact that job centres exist. But when you go there, you go there because you're in need. You need a job, and you're almost to that point where you're desperate, you'll take anything. I remember looking at those little cards, uh, and, and you're trying to keep your mind open because you know you need money, but you're also looking, you know, what's going to be the best return, and what am I going to enjoy the most out of this hideous pile of jobs that I don't really want to do? there are places that can carry a sense of hopelessness, a sense of Depression, a sense of neglect, a sense of I'm not good enough, nobody wants me, I'm unskilled. And Jesus steps right into that situation. As the day goes on, these already struggling people get whittled down. The most able, first perhaps. I may be reading into the text there, but I would imagine when the landowner first goes to the marketplace, he's looking, firstly the ones who bothered to get up early enough, and got there early enough. Yeah. But he's, he's, he's also probably going, who's going to get the most work done in my vineyard? I need this done today. So he picks based on that. But he keeps going back, he keeps going back, and by the end of the day, by five o'clock in the afternoon, there's only a handful of people left. Nobody's hired them the whole day. They are looking at not having dinner. They feel unlikely, bottom of the pile, unfit, unskilled, unable, unlovable. No one is hired us. So we are unworthy. Have you ever felt unworthy? Have you ever felt unable to behave well, unable to demonstrate skill, pass your best, infirm, impoverished? Have you ever felt bottom of the pile? Have you ever felt rejected or relegated? There's a place for you. Mm -hmm. In the vineyard of heaven's kingdom. There's purpose for your life from the King of Kings. He has a will for you. He has a plan for you. It's seek and follow. And some of us made our decision to follow him years ago maybe so long ago that we've forgotten the dust of the marketplace mm. we've, we've forgotten what it's like to carry hopelessness
0: mm.
1: uncertainty mm. perhaps we've, we've forgotten what it's like to experience waiting waiting for nothing good to arrive maybe you've forgotten the feeling of rejection or the fear that no one will come to rescue you or give purpose to your life And what that can do is it can lead you as a believer to feel unhappy. This this parable was spoken by Jesus to the disciples, but really we could see the first people hired in the vineyard to be Israel. We could see that. And at the end of the day, they are indignant because the king or the landowner is just welcoming everybody. But we were here first. We love to queue in Britain, don't we? We love our queues. I can't stand it when you go to America and you go to Disneyland or something like that and they've got these weird queuing systems. Or when you go to McDonald's in Germany. (laughs) Yes, I've done that, but I've gone to McDonald's in every country that I've ever been to, I think. But you go to McDonald's in Germany, and our polite little stand behind somebody, wait till they get so first Out of the window, people will just come pushing past you to get to the front. If you haven't made your way to the front, you lose. Too bad. We love to puke. I was here first. Yeah. It's my turn. Yeah. It's true. The risk when we forget is that we become unhappy with those who come later, and yet get the same deal. The the Jews believed themselves to be the chosen ones from the start of the day. And we can also be like that in church. The disciples presumed that they would receive something fair and earned due to their service from the start of the day, if you like. They shared the blood, sweat and tears experience long service, good behaviour, doesn't that count for anything in the church? Mm. Look at what we've done for you, Jesus. Look at what I've done for you, Lord. N.T. Wright says this, "There's, there's always a danger that we get cross with God over this. The people who work in church circles can easily assume that they are the special ones. God's inner circle. But we have no claim on God or on his kingdom that is based upon anything that we've done. Not one claim. (coughs) No matter who we are, no matter what we've done, we have nothing that we can demand of God. We've got nothing that we can use as a bargaining chip in front of God to give us more than others. In this marketplace, in this field, having skill or being capable or being gifted or wealthy in some way, can, can actually get in the way of our growth as believers. because we feel that we're doing well, and so we stop pursuing the one who can sanctify and change us. I sad to say it been church quite often. we, we grandstand our skills. Our gifts, our abilities, we grandstand, we want people to hear, we want people to know. We, we have a gift, so we want to show people that gift. And listen, those gifts are for the benefit of the body. So they should be shown, they should be on the display, but they're for the benefit of the body. They're not to build you up, they're to build the body up. They're not to make you look good, they're to make Jesus' goodness clearly known. And whether your gift is in music, whether it's in, in preaching and teaching, whether, whether it's in, in evangelism, whatever way, whether it's prophetic, whether it's, it's in, in being able to interpret tongues, whether it's in being able to have words of knowledge or see deep, insightful things, it's there for Jesus. It's there for his glory. It's there to build each other up. It's not there to put you on a platform and make you look good. And if you stand on the platform to make yourself good look good, get off. Mm. Mm. But don't hear that as condemnation this morning. There are times where I need to get off the platform because that little thought comes in and Yeah, I did all right there. <laughs> and when I examine the, the past year, it's so easy to go, How have I developed in my ministry? How is Jesus being elevated in this church? That's what we really want to know. Because whatever we get is unmerited. Yes, there is a great reward for following Jesus. It's insurpassable. And yes, that carries now in this life. Jesus has called us to, to lives filled in abundance. It's not just waiting until you die in this body to receive the whole thing. Eternity has started. You're made eternal. Your body's going to dissolve, but you are made eternal. So eternal life has begun, and, and the benefits of being in his kingdom, you are already seated with him in the heavenly places. So what... Jesus gives us, is so far beyond what we could possibly earn, Mm. or even imagine. Whatever you've given up, whatever you've lost in order to follow him, whatever he's calling you to give up or lose in order to follow him, I guarantee, Mm. my word, don't worry Mm. about recompense. Because when, when you see the fullness of what Jesus has for you, everything, as Paul says, everything else will look like dung. Everything else that you hold precious that isn't him will, will just become something smelly and unwanted in comparison to the wonder of who he is. It just doesn't compare. But we need to get this into our heads. God's not going to do anything for you based on your hard work, based on your effort. He's not going to heal you or answer your prayers because you've been persevering, like sweating and and kind of like, I must do this, I must do this. He loves you. That's what his premise is. That's how he's going to act. Jesus is your righteousness. He is the good life that you can't live. He is the righteous one, uh, the the perfect Jew. You're you're not using your quiet time to earn you special favour. Your your good works aren't pushing you ahead of the pack. You're not notching up a, a heavenly bank balance based on the souls that you've led to him. It, what you do is you focus on Jesus and that's where the reward is, now and at the end. The grace of God cannot be bargained with. You, you can't battle with God to get more than the person next to you. And this story is not even about earning wages. It's, it's not about... I mean, imagine the unions today. If, if I was a boss... And I said, right, you've been working for me for a year, here's your annual wage, but you've been working for me for two days at the end of the year, you get the same wage. The unions would definitely have something to say about that. The workforce would go on strike because they want equality, but don't you see, this is equality. This is perfect equality. And the reason it's equality is because whether or not one of us is and a bit more than the other, is still laughable compared to the deficit. We can never repay God. You, you can't be good for 50 years and expect that that's good enough. You need Jesus. You still need Jesus. It's about the immeasurable, unwarranted, Unmerited favor and generosity of a God who is prepared to get into the thick of it with you and for you into the downtrodden marketplace of your lives and lead you to a place of identity and purpose. I am who you say I am, Mm -hmm. not because oh, look at me, God. I've made myself a son of God, I've made myself a child of God. I've done so well. Look at my wealth, look at my status. Look at how well I've observed the law. No. I am who you say I am. He wants to lead you to a place where you can access and know the love of God in your lives. Nothing that you or I have done could have earned any positive attention from God. Everything he gives is grace. Wholly undeserved. It's completely upside down. Compared to our experience, you have to press in, don't you? You have to press ahead to get ahead in this world. Money and status speak and provide (laughs) platforms and positions. And the nobodies, well they rarely become the somebodies in this world. And even when they occasionally do in their success stories, rags to riches. It's never long before the roots become a thing of distant memory and the danger is that you start to believe that you did it, that you are good enough on your own merit, that you can bargain something with the creator. I watched a film the other day called All the Money in the World. I don't know if some of you have seen that. It's the story of uh, John Paul Getty who at the time was the richest man, not only in the world, but to have ever lived. Ever. And and his grandson got kidnapped. And the ransom was huge. I mean, it was was millions. But this is the richest man ever to have lived. Millions was pocket change. And he would not pay the ransom for his own grandson's release. because, Because he would have to pay tax on the ransom. And he didn't like the principle. It wasn't even about losing, oh, I'm worried that I'm giving away this many millions. His worry was, I don't want to pay tax on principle, I want to avoid tax wherever I can and not give the government any more than I think they deserve. This is my money. Nobody's going to tell me what to do with it. And so his, his grandson was held captive for months. Uh, they removed his ear and sent it in the post to some journalists to, to make a point. You, you gotta, and they're talking about cutting his foot off or something like that if, if the ransom wasn't paid and this guy still stubbornly would not pay it. Because I don't want to pay tax. This is my money. I've earned it. Nobody can tell me who I am. And he died alone without anyone around him, surrounded by priceless artefacts. Yeah that became worthless artifacts. The kingdom of God is upside down. Mm -hmm. Listen, I don't care this morning whether you have skill or not, because the call of God is as loud for your life as it is for anyone else's. Mm -hmm. Now, you may feel that you've got nothing to offer, then, like the guy who wrote... The Christmas carol, what can I bring you, poor as I am? And he goes on saying, say, if I was a shepherd, I would bring a lamb. If I was a wise man, I would do my bit, I would do my part. But what can I give you? My heart. Mm -hmm. Jesus is not interested in your bank balance, whether that's a physical bank balance or something that you've got going on in your head that you judge yourself by, whether you're doing well or not, whether you are worth something or not. The bank account of heaven is based upon absolute grace. And what does Jesus ask for it? Your heart. Mm -hmm. Undivided in exchange for unmerited grace. Whoever J.P. Getty was, everything in his bank account was actually owed by the king who created the ability to print the money in the first place. Nothing valuable of our own merit. So, I'm sure you want to know what happened to this team of misfits, <laughs> this team of wheezing, weedy, asthmatic kids who were running about. And uh, honestly, and this is true, I might have not the details, you know, it's a long time ago and my mind started to lose those kind of details. You know what I'm talking about, don't you guys? <laughs> <laughs> but I remember that team. And I remember looking at it and thinking, these guys are a bunch of losers. <laughs> and I actually thought, what am I doing with this lot? <laughs> How arrogant is that? I was a loser, just the same as the rest of them. But we rallied, together. And we said, alright, we got around in our little huddle, and uh, all the other teams are there looking at go., going, hmm, that'll be easy, hope we draw them in the first round. Every team wanted to play us because it was just considered an easy win, a way to rack up the points. To make us look bad. And, and even when we started playing, you know, they were coming in. And the basketball was supposed to be non contact. Yeah. It was not non contact on this day. Elbows going in everywhere. And they fouled us. And they tried to just break us down. But we decided, doesn't matter how far we get in this contest, we're going to give it everything we have got. And we're going to hold our heads up. Just for this one double period, we're going to go for it. We're gonna see ourselves like kings, and we're gonna we're, we're gonna take on the giants. And do you know what? We won.
0: <laughs> not just the first game,
1: not just the second game. We won the whole lot. We, when we got into the semi-finals, we were like, "What's going on here?" And, uh, you know, we're like, we didn't even get that thing that England always gets when they get to the semi-finals, if they get to the semi-finals. Which is where their, their mentality, their psychology suddenly blows up in their own heads and they suddenly throw it away because they can't handle it. We, we were so chuffed to be there, we didn't care. So we played even more as we got further in the competition. We loved it. And in the final, when we beat the team that got there with us and all the other guys were stood around, Jaws, on the floor, marvelling at the upside-down nature of this peery little team that was full of chumps and wheezy kids who, who couldn't cross a ball of, I don't know, if they tried, and yet they won it. Mm-hmm. Upside down. And you know what, God? Does he builds the church, and we might look like the weedy kids. We might look like we're defeated. It might look like the strong teams of government and of world and of society are overpowering us right now. But in the kingdom, it's completely upside down, and it's open to everyone. Mm. So be encouraged this morning as I come to because. God has purpose for you, He can use you. Further than that, He wants to use you. He has already designed good works for you to do. You are His workmanship, Ephesians 2.10. You are, you are, you are His workmanship, created in Him with these good works to do that are His creation for you. You have purpose, but listen, be encouraged by that, but don't be like the big brother in the prodigal son, sorry, who sees the little brother coming home and sneers at him and goes, why should he get the prize? I've been here all along Mm. being good. You're here, not because you're good. You're here because he is wonderful. Amen. And he has made the way for you. Amen. Let's bow our heads.